Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of Bitch Work Podcast. I am here virtually with one of my best friends, my cousin, Maya. Hey Maya, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hi, Jord. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be chatting with you over FaceTime, recording in like the most convoluted way ever because we have to figure out a way to record in these corona times when we are just bound to our homes and unable to record with each other in person. They are really, really crazy corona times and um, not sure how much longer my three family members and I can be in the same house. Oh, me and my mom truly almost killed each other this morning. Like, not okay. Oh, like, we were yelling. I, I was sleeping in until 11. She came in at, like, 8 a.m., woke me up to tell me she wanted to go to Costco if I wanted to come with her. I was like, Mom, I am sleeping. Yeah, you see, uh, Julia Lynn, shout out. Her parents did the same thing the other day, and I just don't understand why. Just why be woken up. Why? Why? Excuse you me, wanted to is... go to Costco, you would have made it clear you wanted to go to Costco. But I'm really excited to be chatting with Maya today, especially in these corona times, because Maya is studying super hard and daily to become the next star doctor, the next Meredith Grey of our generation. She is in medical school. She graduated from Penn. So she is just going to be the next up and coming doctor for our generation. And I'm so excited to, you know, one... This is the perfect opportunity because she's going to be a doctor in these corona times. And also, a lot of you guys enjoyed my friend Sarah when she came on and talked about her experience in grad school to become a guidance counselor. So I figured you guys would also love to hear from Maya about her experience with medical school and how she got to where she is now. Yeah, and I prefer to be um, Addison Montgomery, not Meredith Gray, but... oh. Okay, Addison Montgomery. Addison Montgomery, 100%. I'm so sorry. Christina Yang? Perhaps, yeah. I would take, I'd take Christina Yang. Over, over Meredith Grey? Yeah, she's just too, she's kind of like Carrie from Sex and the City. She's just too dramatic and... I understand that. It's like everyone thinks they want to be the Carrie, but they actually don't because she's really the worst. Yeah, you think you want to be the Carrie and then someone tells you that you're the Carrie and you're like offended. Exactly. It's really, it's really not a good place to be. Okay, so with that, let's just get into the interview and start talking to Maya about her experience as the next doctor of our generation and how it's really fucking hard and what to expect if maybe you're looking into that sort of career. So Maya, why don't you start off by telling us, um, let's start with normally with these interviews, I would start off by having the guests tell us, um, what they do on their day to day. But I think for you, it would be better if we started off at the beginning with you in high school, going to college, kind of deciding what you wanted to study, your experience with Penn, and um, why you decided you wanted to become a doctor. So I had some medical experiences of my own growing up. And so I was kind of had been exposed to the hospital before and a lot of doctors. And I think from a very young age, from a combination of that and being obsessed with all those doctor shows on TV and just always being better at math and science than I was at writing or history, um, a combination of that, I just always think I wanted to be in the health profession. But I got into Penn and one of my friend's older sisters was pre-med at Penn and she was always complaining about 
how hard it was, um, how much time she used studying. And so I kind of convinced myself that I wasn't going to be able to handle it. And I went into freshman year trying every single major. I tried psych, econ, public health. Um, I tried different languages. And by the end of freshman year, I realized that I, thinking that it was going to be hard, wasn't an excuse not to do it. Um, So I actually decided that sophomore year, I was going to start taking science classes and that maybe I was going to become a dentist. And then after I took bio and chem and I chose my major, which was neuroscience, um, I just kind of realized that I really just wanted to go to medical school and be a doctor. And I think I was holding myself back from that because I thought it was going to be too hard But by the time I was at the end of my sophomore year and I had taken two semesters of science classes and realized that I was still alive and functioning and able to be a normal college student, I realized that it being hard wasn't a reason not to do it and that it actually wasn't as hard as it was hard, but I was surviving and it was worth it. Right. You were still able to have fun and have a fun college life and be pre-med. Yeah, totally. So being a pre-med undergrad, like what does that really look like um, for someone who is thinking about going into school for that reason? Like, as you said, it seems like it can be really scary. It seems like it can be really hard and take up all of your time and make you have not as much fun as a college student. So in your experience, like how does it really happen? Like freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year, like how do the expectations of a pre-med student grow and change? So being pre-med in college is kind of weird because all of the science classes that you have to take kind of have nothing to do with actually being a doctor. So it's kind of hard to remember why you're there and why you're doing it. They're all taught by professors who sometimes are just kind of there to do research and they teach on the side. Um, And there are a lot of curves and low averages. And so it's a little tough to stay motivated, but... Um, I found a really amazing major, which I loved, and I loved the professors in my major, which made it a lot more helpful. And also I was surrounded by, I think I just got lucky with the group of friends that I fell into because a lot of my friends were also in really rigorous curriculums at school. And so I wasn't the only person that was doing work. It's not like everybody else was going out and I was sitting home alone. I was definitely balanced with my friends. It wasn't like frowned down upon to be studying and like if you had a test coming up that weekend everybody understood that you would be in studying but I was also definitely able to schedule it so that I was able to go out and do the things I wanted to do it wasn't like there was a different assignment due every week it's you have midterms and as long as you study block out the right amount of days to study for the midterms you can still do everything you want to do for the rest of the time so Getting down to like the nitty gritty of what you study as a pre-med student and kind of like, also I have a question about the majors, like before we get into the other question. Um, So when you like declare that you want to be pre-med, how many major options do you have to choose from and like how specific do the majors really get? So basically pre-med is not a major. It is just a set of classes that you have to take before you take the MCAT and apply to med school. So you can technically be any major as long as you also take 
all of the required pre-med classes. So there are pre-med people who are history majors. I ended up choosing the neuroscience major because a lot of the pre-med classes also counted toward that major. So it made it possible for me to not be taking a million extra classes. It is very hard to be pre-med and also be a history major or a poli-sci major because it's a lot of extra classes you have to take, but you could technically do any major and still be pre-med. Got it. Understood. So then within the classes that are considered pre-med and in your neuroscience major, what are you actually learning? Like it's a lot, I assume it's a lot of biology, a lot of basic understanding of the body that you need in order to go into med school. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, now that I'm in med school, don't really find myself often drawing back on what I learned in my pre-med classes. I think that being neuroscience definitely helped me. I learned a little bit more in depth in those classes, but the pre-med classes are very cellular, basic, basic, basic things. I think it's more about the intensity of the classes and the problem solving and just thinking and knowing all of the scientific terms and that's why it's necessary for med school it's not really like you're learning any you're learning much there that you then have to remember forever understood understood okay so before we move on to sort of your journey into getting into medical school which I know is like a whole job within itself and a feat within itself is there anything else you feel like you need to touch on about pre-med before we move into that um no I think the biggest thing is just to make sure that you're if you are pre-med that you still find classes and opportunities to do something that you like And um, I always recommend shadowing or trying to get involved in research because I think that sometimes it's hard to remember why you're there when your classes don't really have a lot to do with what it's actually going to be like to be a doctor. So if you're adding in other things like shadowing different doctors in nearby hospitals or doing research, then you can keep up your motivation and really like allow yourself to see whether or not it's what you want to do nice okay actually going off on that before we move into getting into medical school did you have any um pre-med or doctor related internships while you were in college in undergrad while I was in college I did research over a few of the summers Um, And that's kind of the extent of internships, I guess, that pre-med students do. Some people do more official research um, as a part of a program, or some people just find professors and do research with them throughout the school year. I personally did most of my research during the summers. I just found a doctor at CHOP, which is the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and I thought that what he was doing was interesting, and I just got involved in his research over the summers. But there's definitely a million different areas of research you can go into and a lot of different ways you can find it. But as far as internships during college go, most pre-med students are doing research of some sort. Got it. So you just, you were familiar with this doctor, you knew what he was doing and you just directly reached out to him? Yeah. So I emailed him and I told him how I had found him. I had found him through this database that the school had. And I told him my background, why I was interested in what he was researching, showed that I had already looked into what he was doing and that I knew the research he was doing, why I was interested in it, why my background could help me 
in doing research for him. And I did that for like five or six doctors. And then he's one of the ones that ended up replying and that I felt like I had a good back and forth with. Nice. Okay. So then for people who aren't familiar with what doing research means, what are your actual like daily tasks and responsibilities when you're working with the doctor and doing research with them? So it it depends on if you're doing bench research, which is when you're in an actual lab with a lab coat pipetting, which is so not my thing. I hate that. (laughs) I cannot see you pipetting. Yeah, pipetting is something that um, we had to do in school. And then when I left bio lab, I was like, I will never pipette again. Um, So most people do, or not most people, but a lot of people do clinical research, which is what I did. And that is mostly taking data from different cases or hospitals it depends what you're researching and then analyzing that data and writing it up in a paper and publishing it so the day-to-day is actually really similar to any internship that you would have it's a lot of plugging numbers into excel looking at trends on excel emailing people organizing different things it's actually funny how similar the research and um, clinical research internships are to just like any regular internship. Interesting. Okay, cool. So after you graduated from Penn, you actually didn't go right into med school. You moved to New York City for a year. So why don't you touch on that year of your life for a second and kind of what you were doing in New York, why you decided to move there, and how you were prepping for... um, applying to medical school during that time? So because I started my pre-med classes sophomore year, it was starting to look like I was going to have to take a gap year just because you need a certain amount of time to finish all the classes before you then study for the MCAT, take the MCAT, and then have the year to apply. Um, And actually, a lot of people take gap years. Now that I'm in med school, I realized that almost every single one of my friends took at least one gap year before med school. And at first I was kind of upset about it because I kind of just wanted to get it over with. It's a lot of school anyway, and I don't want to be 50 when I graduate. (laughs) So, but it was actually the best thing that ever happened to me. It was a much needed break from academics. And I moved to New York. I lived with my, one of my other cousins, which was amazing. And I was then in the city with so many people who I hadn't been with over the past four years of college, different high school friends, camp friends, family like you and two of my other cousins. And I did clinical research at a cancer hospital called Sloan Kettering. So that's something that I applied to during my senior year of college. And then I did that for the year in New York. What did that process look like when you applied for doing research at Sloan Kettering? So I kind of knew that I wanted to be in New York. So I was looking into different research opportunities in the New York hospitals. I also applied to the Philly hospitals just because I think it's always good to have a backup plan. And I went on our school's handshake website. Do you ever, do you guys have that? No. What is handshake? So it's basically something where the school facilitates you applying to different things and all of these, you can plug in what you're looking for, salary, what type of position, et cetera, and it will populate for you and show you different positions that are open. And then you can apply to those places through Penn's Handshake. 
Got it. So you were being paid to do the research at Sloan Kettering. Yes. Yeah. So I went on to Handshake and I just applied to a bunch of different programs through that and sent in my resume. And then it was two phone call interviews and then an in-person interview. And then I got the job and I moved to New York that August and started. Amazing. Okay. So during that year, you were doing research at Sloan Kettering. Were you also preparing for the test or were you preparing for applying? Like, how did that look? Like, what did the gap year look like in terms of preparing for applying to medical school and applying? Because I know that applying takes up like a really good portion of your time. Yeah, so I had actually taken the MCAT in between my junior year and my senior year of college. So the MCAT was already totally out of the way, which was so nice. I know a lot of people who have to take it in their second semester senior year, which I definitely would not have wanted to do. And so the summer after I graduated is really when I started buckling down about applications. I started looking at different schools I might be interested started getting my applications together and med school applications are very weird in that your applications essentially have to be in by July of the year before you attend the school. So I had most of my primary and secondary applications in before I even moved to New York. And then while I was in New York for that year, I was, that's when I was doing my interviews. Got it. Okay. So quick going back for one second, Um, so to take the MCAT, what like allows you to be able to take it or not take it? Do you need to have like a certain amount of classes under your belt? Like what is the prerequisite for taking the test? I mean, I guess anybody could technically take the MCAT. I, I took it before I took physics two, which was one of the things on the MCAT. And so I had to teach myself the material from that class using like an MCAT test prep book. I think anything allows you or doesn't allow you to take it, but I don't know why you would ever do that to yourself if you weren't pre-med. I just asked that because you said some people had to wait until second semester senior year. So I was just wondering if, you know, they didn't study or like, why did they have to wait until second semester? So you have one primary application, which is basically, it just asks you a bunch of questions about all the different classes you took um, your research, your, the research you've been a part of, any service that you've done, you have to attach your letters of recommendation there and you write a um, personal statement. And that application goes to every school that you want to apply to. And then different schools will send you back their personal secondary application. And that is different questions for every school. Then you every guidance counselor says that you should do this within two weeks of getting it from them. You have to answer those questions in little essays and send it back to them. You can be rejected at two different times, which is great. So you can either be... (laughs) So if you get the secondary set of... You get the secondary application, that means you've passed like the first round. Kind of everybody, no, everybody gets the secondary application. Once you submit those, you could be rejected or you could be invited in for an interview. And then you go in for an interview. It's this whole day. You have to go to the school. It's not, you can't FaceTime or do a phone call. So if the school's far away, if you want to go there, you have to find a way to get there. Right. Um, and you have to wear a whole suit. Um, I did not look good at all. <laughs> <in> my- <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. 
I guess the interview day depends on the school, but it's usually a faculty interview, a student interview, some sort of tour, some sort of Q&A session. Um, and then after the interview, you could be rejected, you could be accepted, or you could be waitlisted, which is kind of like being deferred in college. Right, right. Um, so out of how many schools did you apply to and out of those, how many did you get invited back for an interview? If you feel comfortable sharing this information. Um, I applied to 16 schools and I think I had eight, seven or eight interviews. Oh, nice. That's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad about it. (laughs) Could have been better, could have been worse. And then after the interviews, again, if you don't mind us me asking, how many did you get accepted to? So I got accepted to three and then I was waitlisted at two, but I ended up taking myself off of those wait lists before I found out from them. So we'll count them as acceptances. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and would you say that's like an average amount of schools to apply to or do more people apply to more or do more people apply to less? I think that 16 is pretty low. Some people apply to like 30 schools. Really? Yeah, Holy it's crap. crazy. I, I kind of apply to like 10 reach schools, very reach schools. And then probably like one or two more that I felt like were backups. And then the rest more maybe on target. But if I would do it again, I definitely would have applied to way more target or backup schools and less of the reach schools because um, I don't know why I ever thought I was going to get into those reach schools. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say that, okay, so what's like considered like a reach med school? Because I feel like you're pretty smart and you're a super good student. So I can only imagine that a reach school for you was like a legit reach school, like a hard school to get into. So like, what do like those options look like? Because I know that when you were applying, you were kind of like medical school is so hard to get into, like even getting into a backup school is like such an accomplishment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, some people don't get into med school on their first round of applications. And it's definitely different than college in that It doesn't really, I mean, actually, I don't think where you go to college even matters, but in the same way where you go to med school, it doesn't matter. They, everybody says to you, what's the difference between the person that graduates from the top school and graduates from the bottom school? Nothing. They're both a doctor. The top, I would say the top 25 ranked schools are very, very difficult to get into. I interviewed at some of them and got waitlisted at some of them um but yeah I mean the classes in med school are very small they're about 120 people so it's very competitive and a lot of the people I was interviewing with were like oh I just got back from teaching English for seven years in this small tiny village in Africa and I also like cured cancer (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so after you got into medical school, this is just a fun question to throw in there. So once you got into medical school, you were free. How many months did you have until you started classes? From the time I got into my first medical school, I think that it was like late November, early December. So like six months. So what did you do? I actually had the best year of my life. (laughs) Okay, good, good. Um, I just... 
really, really, really took advantage of the fact that I wasn't being a student. I think that some people who move to New York and are working there get really caught up in the typical, oh my God, it's so hard to be in corporate America. I'm so tired after work. I can't go out. I can't whatever, which totally there were some days where I was tired after work and I exercised and I went home and sat around with my roommate. But I definitely tried to take advantage of everything that I had there, which didn't even mean doing things that, of course, New York is so expensive. I couldn't go out to dinner or go out to a bar every single night. But even if it was just like walking through different neighborhoods or going to see, like going to different people's apartments or cooking dinner with different people, I really took advantage of being in the same city as so many people that I loved and being in a new city. Okay, so now we're in we're in medical school. We're in the thick of it. You're this is your second year, right? First year. First year. First year. Sorry, it's your first year. Um, because I was in New York last year. <laughs> right, right, right. For sure. I mean, I don't know how I forgot that time just moves so slowly. I guess in my brain. In COVID nineteen, a week is a year. So yeah, technically it's my fifth year. <laughs> That's true. Um, okay, so you're in your first year of med school. And now I want to kind of get into the the um, details of medical school. So once you're in medical school, what does that time frame look like? And then like what happens after that? And then what happens after that? Like how many years of schooling do you have ahead of you? Until I can be like, Maya, please help me because I have a scary something happening with my body. So there are four years of med school Two of them are preclinical, which means classes in the classroom and studying for and taking this thing called STEP, which is basically the MCAT, but for everything you learned in med school. When you take STEP, what is that? Like, if you don't pass, does that mean you don't get to do the next two years? No, you can technically take it again, but you, you got to pass. For residency, which, let me backtrack a little. After those two years of med school, then you do two years, after those two years of preclinical, then you do two years where you're rotating in the hospital. So you're actually in there talking to patients, helping doctors, whatever. And after those four years in total, you are technically a doctor. You have MD at the end of your name. And at that point, you should be able to call me with anything that's wrong with you. And I should know what's going on. (laughs) So after med school, you go to residency and that's when you really decide what kind of doctor you want to be. And, and that's when great is that when Grey's Anatomy started when they were their residents. It is. That's when Grey's Anatomy started. So they were all fresh out of med school. And in order to get into a residency program, since a lot of schools are pass fail, your step score, which is that test I was talking about, matters a lot for getting into residency. Um, and then it's also a whole other interview process, which is kind of similar to the interview process that you did to get into med school. And then your residency. That how many years that is really depends on what you want to do. I think the average is probably like three to five years of residency, which you're getting paid, not a lot, but you're getting paid and you are an actual doctor in the hospital. And then a lot of people do a fellowship, which is just like a further specialization into whatever field they want to do. So I would say the minimum after med school is probably three years The max, I mean, you could be technically in a fellowship or residency forever because people could like do multiple fellowships or something like that. So like once you do most people, 
get hired and become like full-time doctors at the hospital that they did their residency at or like then do start your own practice that definitely depends on what you want to do like if you want to work at a hospital you definitely could try to uh, work at the hospital that you were resident at but I think most people do fellowships which is further specialty after residency and that doesn't necessarily have to be at the same hospital you could go to a different hospital for your fellowship Um, or like go to someone's practice like a private practice yeah then you could go into practice or you could become a part of like a bigger health system where you can still be working in an office not in a hospital or you could apply to a different hospital depending on where you want to live or whatever. Cool. Okay, so then at what point in med school or after med school do you really start thinking about what kind of doctor you want to be and do and does that affect what classes you take in medical school or are all the classes the same for everyone? So there are definitely some people who came into med school already thinking that they know exactly what they want to do. And then there are some people who don't decide until they do the rotations in the hospital during their third year. Uh, You have to decide before the beginning of your fourth year because that's when you apply to residency. Um, And everybody takes the same classes for the first two years. The first two years are identical for everybody. And everybody has to do the same core rotations, but then you can choose different other specific rotations to do during your fourth year depending on what you think you want to go into so you personally I know that you've kind of changed your mind a lot about what kind of doctor you think you want to be um can you just tell us like what you're thinking now and also how you kind of got to that that point yeah so right now I'm thinking I want to do some sort of oncology which is cancer and I got to that point because I worked at Sloan Kettering, which was a cancer hospital, and I loved working with those doctors. I thought what they were doing was really interesting. I also just feel like every single person knows somebody that has been impacted by cancer or has been impacted by cancer themselves. And it's a it's one of the fields that's changing the most day to day and always having new breakthroughs and new technology and new treatments and that really excites me as something to be able to come into that's still producing new ideas and new treatments and new findings. Um, So that's kind of what I've liked the most in my classes now. But then I've also, every time we have an embryology class, which is the study of how like the fetus develops, I'm like, wow, two cells come together and create a human. I need to do OBGYN. (laughs) (laughs) Also, just like for me personally, having you as an OBGYN would just be like so fabulous. I have so many questions on a day-to-day basis about so many things involving my vagina, to be completely honest with you. And just having like you on speed dial would make my life so unbelievably convenient. I know. It would make my own life so unbelievably convenient too. Like... I definitely think that it would be awesome to be the OBGYN of my friends and family because that's what everybody wants me to do. Also, like, Maya would deliver my baby. I know, I can't. That would be so amazing. Oh, I want you to be an OBGYN. But also, like, being an oncologist is unbelievable and you seem to be really interested in that. So I, I support you either way. Thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. Okay, so... I feel like those were really all the questions that I have for you. 
involving this but like why don't you just give us like a general overall understanding of how you are doing with med school like is it harder than you thought it was going to be is it easier than you thought it was going to be and then lastly I really want to hear about um, your thoughts on COVID okay so med school is definitely really different than I thought it was going to be I think it is harder and than I thought it was going to be just in terms of the amount of information if if I had gotten this much information two years ago and been expected to learn it, I just, I would have freaked out. It's more information than I ever thought was possible to learn at once. But I think that what's really been surprising me is that I've been able to adapt to it a lot better than I thought I would be able to. And once you create a schedule for yourself and find out what really works for you and kind of forget about what's working for everyone else and hone into your own schedule and your own system. It's obviously hard, but I still have a life completely. I love what I'm studying, which helps so much. And I think med school is definitely academically a lot more me than what I was studying in college. And it's been a lot more enjoyable. Well, that's good because it's definitely validating. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so finally... Maya, future doctor, what are your thoughts on COVID-19 and what are your professors telling you about this pandemic? Just to maybe give us some peace of mind, maybe to scare us into self-isolation, even more self-isolation than we already have. Yeah, Um, it's actually interesting because I've learned about coronavirus. Some forms of coronavirus obviously have caused SARS and stuff like that before. Some forms of coronavirus are just the common cold. And when this all started, our professors were kind of like, this is going to be totally fine. It's probably not even coming to the U.S. And here we are. I think everyone should 100% be be scared into social distancing. Yeah, I mean, the way that it can spread through just touching surfaces that other people touch, I mean, you need to stay in your house and stay six feet away from everybody else. That being said, this too shall pass. And I just keep reminding myself of that. I keep reminding my friends of that. I'm really confident in the doctors that are working hard. And I think that now more than ever has shown me how excited I am to be a doctor and how amazing the healthcare profession is and that uh, the country really can come together and, you know, fight something. I'm just looking for some silver linings. I think this is so horrible for so many people, but try to find the silver lining that you have, whether it's just the fact that you could sleep more or the fact that you get to be with your family more than you usually would. Um, but yeah, it, it will pass. This is not going to be forever. And it, hopefully we can learn things this time that will help if there's ever, God forbid, a next time. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully we have a cure. Yeah. Or hopefully we're not around. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Maya, so incredibly much for being on the podcast today. If you guys have any further questions for Maya, Maya, can they like follow you, DM you? Like, it's okay if they can't. You just let me know. Totally. My Instagram is at Maya underscore Rosenberg. Okay, perfect. And then, of course, you guys can always DM me through at Bitch Work Podcast or at Jordan Rebecca if you want to... um, Go through me to talk to Maya, whatever you prefer. Follow her, follow me, follow the Bitch Work Podcast Instagram. And I hope that you all are staying happy and healthy and safe during this time. We have a lot more episodes coming your way, so there'll be some entertainment and some content for you to absorb. Uh, Maya, 
This has been a pleasure. I miss you so much, and I love you. Thanks, Jord. I love you, and I miss you. I miss you so much. Okay, bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye.